everyone. Welcome to the episode 2 of podcast series Venture Journey. I'm your host Abhinav Singhvi and the topic of this episode is Boeing today and tomorrow. To discuss this in detail, I have two guests with me, Ian McDougall and Luke Massey, both aviation veterans who have been in this industry for over 30 years. Ian is a founder and CEO of Flight Solutions Services Aircraft Management and holds board positions at numerous business aviation companies. Luke is the COO of Partner Jet and has held multiple leadership positions at companies like Bombardier, Sky Service Aviation and Starlink Aviation. Both Ian and Luke have a unique strategic vision in the field of aviation and I can't wait to hear their thoughts on Boeing. Thank you Ian and Luke for your time. Welcome. Welcome. So Ian, to start with, could you help us understand what is so different about 737 MAX 8 aircraft compared to its predecessor 737 next generation aircrafts? Uh, it's fundamentally um, uh, different in a number of respects. It has uh, different engines. Uh, the center of gravity uh, and center of lift have been altered by the new engines. Um, it has a higher level of um, automation than is typical for Boeing, certainly a higher level of automation than has been true in previous versions of the 737. Um, uh, so it's, it's in many respects a very different airplane. But having said that, it's got uh, the same basic configuration in terms of controls. They're, they're not fly-by-wire controls, it's cabled. And um, uh, the aircraft's uh, touch and feel from a pilot's perspective under normal operating conditions is exactly the same as the earlier ones. What is it that has gone wrong with MAX aircrafts now? Well, I think there's two questions, and you've asked one of them, and that's what went wrong with the airplane. Uh, more fundamentally, however, is what went wrong with the company to allow for what went wrong with the airplane. Yeah. So what went wrong, and I'm not 100% sure about the word wrong, um, There's been a lot of discussion about the design being fundamentally flawed. I'm not totally sure that that's correct. However, um, there were decisions made in the company to compensate for different aer- aerodynamic uh, pressures on the aircraft in flight. A uh, decision was made to resolve those problems with an automated system called the MCAS system. And uh, um, that, uh, that certainly was a fundamental change from what had been true at Boeing before. When they had problems like that, they didn't uh, use those sorts of systems to correct them. They would actually modify the, the plane surfaces, the aerodynamic controls, and resolve any issues that way. So this was a, a very different approach. It is not an approach that of itself is wrong in a per se sense. Uh, if you look at what Airbus does, they do exactly the same thing. If you look at most defense um, uh, equipment like the F-35, Indeed, even the F-15, they're not flyable airplanes uh, without a lot of software and, and uh, uh, automation in the flight control system. So the fact of there being a reliance on internally uh, generated computer codes uh, operating the control surfaces, that of itself is not a failing. Here, however, they did it badly. So coming to your second question, what has gone wrong with the company then? Uh, the company... Um, Uh, the, the approach to the changes in design philosophy did not engage all of the skill sets within the company. There were large portions, critical portions of the company that were excluded from the design decision and even excluded, like some of the customers, 
from knowledge of what had been done behind the scenes to make the aircraft competent. So, for example, they did not, according to press reports, alert their test flight engineering group. The test pilots took the airplane up without any knowledge that the background included the MCAS system. And um, uh, so they weren't in a position to evaluate it. And um, uh, it, it was, if that story is correct, and it's, it's come from multiple sources, and they're all authoritative, it's an astonishing breach. And it's also clear that the people who were managing the code lines, <coughs> the code evolution, were not communicating and didn't have to communicate. And the implication of that is that code is a hell of a lot cheaper to introduce than it is to modify uh, a, a, an aircraft physically. And uh, so somebody made the decision to proceed in that direction. And again, it wasn't an integrated decision. They broke the culture effectively. In allowing this to happen, they, they violated the basic culture of the company. So when you say they broke the culture, <clears throat> there's a joke in Seattle that McDonnell Douglas bought Boeing with Boeing's money in 1997. And the culture started changing after that merger, per se. I don't, <clears throat> I'm not aware that McDonnell Douglas bought Boeing. What I'm aware of is that Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas. That's right. So, uh, maybe I misunderstood you. Um, and would they use the company's money to buy it? Of course. I mean, that's how every large transaction like that occurs. You, you're not buying something that involves writing a check um, without levering off the assets of the target. And indeed, if you do do that, and you're a shareholder, uh, you better sell your shares and buy another company. So. As a board member, if anybody in a management group were to suggest not using the leverage of the, of the target company, you would immediately say, thanks so much for your service. We're going to change the management. So that part doesn't, I, the line's nice, but of course that happened. Absolutely. So has the culture changed since then? Because Boeing was known to be as engineers company before. Well, there will be a lot of people uh, who will say that. These are easy judgments to pick a point and say, oh, change in terms of the... Uh, uh, a manager retired, McNeary retired, Muhlenberg came in. Before McNeary, there were a succession of people whose names we all probably know who had run Boeing according to their own style. Um, Boeing is famous as a company for uh, having senior management organized within power circles. And the power circles are competitive. And that's how they basically test their managers and they they, um, uh, in one year, you'll have one power center like Boeing Commercial Airplane Company uh, being supreme, and, and within it, there'll be a couple of power centers as well. It's a very confusing, quite chaotic um, um, uh, culture when it comes to sorting out the managers, but it's been very successful in terms of getting good managers. There's always been good managers. I don't know whether you can attribute it to the purchase of McDonnell Douglas. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare go that far. And I've certainly read people... Uh, who think they know, uh, say that's the case. The other analysis says um, the defense culture took over the Boeing Commercial Airplane Company. Again, I find that far-fetched. The fact is um, the nature of the building, design and building and selling of a commercial airplane has evolved considerably since 1967 when the 737 was introduced. It changed. So for the Max 8 aircraft specifically, is it just a software glitch, which they say it is, which Boeing claims right now? If it is, then why is it taking so long for them to get the FAA approval and get the planes back in the air? And if it's not just a software glitch, if it's a hardware 
they were changes in hardware as far i know that if there are changes in the design of an aircraft the faa needs the mandatory simulator training for the pilots but that never happened for max 8 aircrafts so what is the real issue here well um i think what you can say without any fear of contradiction is that that the last opportunity to save the aircraft um was taken away from the cockpit and that was the the cutoff switches for the autopilot and for the electric trim which were separate switches always but in this aircraft instead of having separate switches with separate functions they had two switches which did the same thing they cut off both the electric trim and the autopilot and what that meant for the people operating the aircraft was that they were unable to get access to the electric trim which would have saved the aircraft um without re-enabling the autopilot which meant that the MCAS system was being re-enabled which in turn was going to force the nose of the aircraft down so there was a hardware change in addition to everything else that was wrong the, uh, in terms of the accidents uh, both of them it seems that on a but for test the hardware changes were absolutely condemning and it meant that the crew and the passengers were going to die that's that seems to be clear there are a number of things in a hardware sense and possibly a software sense that remain outstanding in both accidents the throttles were at full and one of the things that would have been done first by the crew would be to retard the throttle levers and it appears that either, that either didn't happen or if it did happen um they immediately went up again so there may be a secondary control issue which could be hardware or software or both but in terms of the cutoff switches that's a fundamental um problem and at the end of the day it appears that that was the last opportunity for the crew to save the the hulls and and the passengers and they made their best efforts but they didn't have the switches that they needed to do that job so when the FAA approved the max aircraft there was no pushback from FAA so is it that they never knew that there were some hardware changes or they knew and they still approved it it may be that everybody missed it except the engineers that made it it may be that for example the test flight pilots got in looked at the switches thought it's the same old same old because they look identical without fully comprehending that there was a problem that might make the similarity the identical quality of the two switches uh, a problem they may not have realized it similarly with the FAA if a test flight group doesn't notice it you can't expect the FAA not to notice it but again we have to be careful about the FAA the FAA is a system has actually worked brilliantly the designated engineering representatives who are Boeing employees that has worked very well the agency doesn't have the capability to take on the work of the DERs the designated engineering reps in the factories they never will what's happened as a result of this is that the the level of breach within Boeing has cast a shadow on the FAA which may be unjustified it's certainly generated cause uh, uh, people crusading for reform without fully understanding how negative those reforms could be it could slow down the processes of innovation it could result in in a huge build up of uh, civic overheads the FAA would have to be much bigger it could create enormous confusion lots of delay and it would rip the potentially rip the agility out of the major american 
original equipment manufacturers, you've got to realize that this is serious stuff. Boeing is the biggest, most important company in a sector which is the largest single source of export revenues, export earnings for the U.S. It's huge. So before you mess with it, you've got to think it through. Personally, I don't buy that the FAA should be a casualty here. I think Boeing has created the problem for the FAA, which is primarily political, and people should be very careful before they change that. So there were news articles, and this question is directed to Luke, that the failure of the MCAS is because the software was outsourced to Indian company HCL, and Boeing just paid $9 an hour to the engineers. Do you think that's really the case here, or it's just that the PR is being diverted to some other, someone else? I would say that the, the PR machines is diverting the, uh, the real focus. Ultimately, what an, an engineer or a programmer gets paid should be irrelevant. At the end of the day, if the Indian programmers are qualified to do the job, then they're no different than an American programmer or European programmer. Not, but again, them being given a job to, to come up with new code, is they're given a specific direction to execute. Ultimately, who controls that direction is, 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 is the people that should be questioned. The writer of that comment belongs at a Trump rally um, where Trump is saying go back because the color of your skin is different that's what this guy's basically saying I agree totally with Luke it's an appalling statement and, and moreover prove it prove that there was some quality deficit um, I mean that's that's very far-fetched it's in, in the company that Boeing has actually hired uh, is world-renowned probably every single aircraft manufacturer uses them for in one state or another so it's not as if they're a small outfit that have no capabilities. Coming to the CEO, the current CEO point, he really doesn't seem to be taking the onus of what has happened. And he's just pushing the bucks on everyone else. Whereas Boeing has indirectly accepted that it's their mistake because they declared a $100 million fund for the victims and the community and recently taken a hit of $5 billion for their clients and aircraft because of which there has been a delay in supply of aircrafts. So, what do you think about the leadership style of the current CEO? Well, obviously they're in, they're in, uh, in panic mode just to get the uh, get the problem behind them at this stage. They're doing, I mean, today they're they're focusing on as best they can to get the to, to fix the issues, to get them back through within the FAA to review and approve, and to get airplanes back up in the air. I mean, uh, today is not, in my mind, is is not the the day to, to, to point fingers or anything, let them do the jobs to get the airplanes back up in the air, then there will be a postmortem to see exactly what should be done with, with the management. I'm a little more negative on the management, <laughs> although I think what Lucas said is very sensible. Um, but I do think there was there's clear evidence that the culture was broken. A decision was made to resolve a problem without notice to the various elements of the company that traditionally were involved. And the guy that allowed that is the guy who's at the top. And whether or not he knew or didn't know is another issue, but there were cost implications that were massive and positive, frankly, from proceeding along the lines that they had decided to follow. If you could accomplish what was needed with a software change, then there were huge advantages and there were marketing advantages as well. So if he didn't know, then that would be cause for concern about his ability and his authority within the company. If he did know and didn't have his own suppositions about using code versus hardware changes and how you market, 
if he didn't test all those understandings, which he clearly didn't, um, using the internal response, then again, you've got reason to doubt the guy's ability. He's in a funny position. Uh, any one of us would be in exactly the same position. He's sitting there. He may be concerned to keep his job. He may not even have his job. Who knows? Maybe decisions may have already been, been made and he may be just holding a place card. But, and it's impossible to, for us to know this, but at the end of the day, the one thing he can't do is he can't ignore the army of lawyers that are telling him, don't say this, don't say that, here's what you could say. So to get a firm read on what the managerial situation is right now, who has authority over what, and who's responsible for what, Muhlenberg would be the last person to tell us because he'd be taking advice. So, Ian, you have been saying that the culture is broken. So, are you saying that the profits and the growth were put ahead of the aircraft safety and honesty? Is that what you see mean when the culture is broken or is there something more deeper in within the organization structure? <clears throat> it might be that, that uh, it's broken in the sense of choices being made um, uh, that became more commercial than they were uh, safety focused. But then again, when you think about it, if you make a commercial choice and you expose a safety risk, then that also is a commercial choice and it's going to backfire. The culture is broken in the sense that not all the resources of the company were used. That's clear. And again, they put people in jeopardy, which is, and the people again started with the test flight group and then extended on through to the customer base. And they had knowledge of the problem and they didn't respond to it. And they tried to, to um, basically cast aspersions on third world carriers who were in fact quite good carriers. Ethiopian Air is a very good carrier. And to try and write it off in that way. All of that to me says there's an issue here and it's a pretty serious issue. Uh, so the, the culture is clearly broken, but again, the motive for the people who broke it that becomes more complicated. But if it's broken, it has to be fixed. So motive almost doesn't matter. You gotta fix it, you gotta do it right away. Here's the consequence of not getting it fully engaged and working. The damage is already done for Boeing. Going ahead, what do you think they should do right now, starting today or tomorrow, that they can control this crisis? Well, they've got a political crisis, which is very is formidable. Again, the problem is uh, the what they, did badly has tainted the FAA. So the FAA's ability to work in partnership and resolve the problem and get the airplane flying has been compromised. There appear to be issues within the aircraft. And again, there's an untold story possibly around the autothrottles. And there is a clear story around the cutoff switches um, that uh, are obvious things that have to get fixed. The code issues probably are repairable. Um, you know, I'd be interested to know what Luke says about this, but I don't see any reason, and I've heard of no reason, um, that suggests the aircraft isn't a good aircraft. Once you have the, the MCAS system behaving properly and you've got, again, a suitable array of things that will allow you to mitigate the aircraft going south on you in, a, in an automation sense, once you have all that, I don't see any reason why uh, the airplane, uh, prima facie, wouldn't be a perfectly good airplane. And again, I've... I've flown the 737, but, and with one of the test flight engineers who's at the senior end of the company, it was an earlier version. It's a very easy aircraft to fly. I've talked to people who know the MAX 8, they say exactly the same. It's a, it's a delightful airplane. It's not a problem. 
And um, so I think the airplane, on the basis of the evidence, forget about the journalists for a few minutes, on the basis of the evidence, seems to be a good airplane. I, mean, I would agree. I mean, they're, they're, the basic design of the aircraft hasn't changed in the past 50 years. There are still 40-year-old 737s flying around today, safely. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, the, the airframe is fine. The, the key is to make sure that, yeah, the, the, that the proper tools are in place for the people operating the aircraft know how to operate it properly. As opposed to the, um, the concern that Ian raised a little bit earlier, of not knowing what's in the background, not, knowing, not being trained in how to uh, better understand the airframe, the aircraft overall, is, is one of the key issues. I mean, if, if the system was identified up front, and people or pilots were properly aware or trained about it, maybe it would have had a different situation. Who knows? Okay, so knowing that Boeing cannot, like right now the aircrafts are not fit to fly and they are still continuously manufacturing these aircrafts. They are bleeding money right now. Who's really earning at this point? Who's really making money? Is Airbus really gaining out of it? Are they all, because recently they launched one of the new aircraft in Paris Airshow. Airbus is gaining. I don't think there's any doubt. Airbus is gaining. They, they don't have anything that hits 100% in the niche of the 737 MAX, but, but they come pretty close. And, and I think in terms of credibility, um, I mean, Luke has dealt with Airbus for years and years. In terms of credibility, they've always been a credible company, but now in comparative terms, they're that much more credible. So I think the likelihood of what's happened this year, which is Airbus moving in front in terms of the volume of sales, on a projected 12-month basis, that's going to persist for some time. Airbus won't, won't have a short-term advantage just because they're, they're working off uh, huge backlogs that extend out many, many years. So it's not as if a customer can cancel a 737 order today and get an Airbus product tomorrow. It, it, the, the, the backlogs are way, way too big. But in the mid and long-term perspective, Airbus definitely will gain because, again, they're, they're, their brand will end up growing. Boeing continue to, to manufacture aircraft that they can't deliver. One of the things you have to understand the manufacturing process is, is the, an airplane is an accumulation of thousands and thousands of components from thousands of suppliers. You can't turn off the supply base overnight. You got to maintain that. And it, even though Boeing is probably burning millions of dollars today producing aircraft, it would likely cost them a lot more in the long run if they stopped production and had to restart with much greater delays in deliveries. In case in future when 77 is back, like certified fit for fly, what do you think the consumer perception would be? Would the passenger would like to fly again 77 Max irrespective of all the approvals? I think that there will be a perception out there, but I suspect it will be short term. At the end of the day, people need to travel. And obviously if the airlines have confidence in the aircraft themselves, the combination of Boeing, the general media, the airlines themselves will do their best to put this issue behind everybody. Flight attendants are reported early on that everybody who got on a 737 said, is this a MAX 8? And more recent reports is that people have stopped asking. That doesn't mean the concern is abated. They may be asking the same question of the reservation agent. Who knows? But it sounds like it is. And I think Luke is absolutely correct. This airplane is a credible airplane. In fact, the MAX 8, in terms of the performance metrics, really is brilliant. It's really very good. And um, it's, it's hard to imagine that somebody's going to declare it a failure. But it does say stuff. It says, you know, on the analysis of Airbus, for example, in comparison, what it says is Airbus has a culture which can manage highly sophisticated automation systems. 
uh, all premised on fly-by-wire. They've built that into their culture. They produce very good products. And Boeing is behind in terms of doing that. They don't know how to do it in the same way. Their production philosophies are quite different than Airbus. Their production facilities are vastly different than Airbus's. And, um, you know, there's big differences in the company, which I think this episode is going to highlight. Um, but at the end of the day, Boeing makes a good product. Airbus makes a good product. They're different. Boeing has distance to travel in terms of automation, automated systems. And they, they're going to have to learn from this. So what do you think, when can MaxAid be fit, fit for flying? By what time? This year? End of this year? Boeing it's, claims end of this year? What do you think is a practical timeline? There are too many forces that are non-Boeing forces that are engaged on the question. You couldn't possibly predict it. There will be pressures, for sure, from every quarter, from bankers, from customers, from uh, markets generally, to, to get a resolution of it quickly. And those, for, those forces will express themselves in multiple venues, from uh, the political level right through the regulatory level. And, and uh, they will have voice because the costs of borrowing for Boeing are going to go up. The risk factor has gone up, and that's going to affect the market right away. The pressures will be immense. How they culminate in a towards a resolution is hard to predict. The other aspect is obviously that the, the first gate they have to go through is get FAA approval to get the airplane back in the air. But then all the international regulators are all going to take their time to, to ensure that they're satisfied. In the, in the past, a lot of people, a lot of regulators relied on what the FAA basically did as far as the homework to, to prove that airplanes are safe. Today, they, I mean, there will still be that link with the FAA around the world, but they're each going to take their time to make sure that within their areas of expertise that they, they, they can confirm that the airplane is safe. So that will add a further delay, and particularly when you look at the, the order backlog that Boeing has, the vast majority of the backlog are international deliveries, not, not necessarily Canadian or North American deliveries. That's another dimension too, which people I don't know really understand it, but the effect of this has been to unleash um, a lot of major jurisdictions in a regulatory sense. And they can use their power now uh, as regulators, uh, which has grown at the expense of the FAA uh, in, for uh, strategic trade purposes. So it, it, it does not look good. It used to be 10 years ago that the FAA has basically ruled everything. If, you were, if your airplane was stopped on a runway in Chet Black Cock, it as often as not required in order to fly if there was some equipment list issue um, uh, it was missing. It required an FAA approval. Now it may not just be an FAA approval. You may have to get three or four approvals to, to get the aircraft aloft, not least of which includes the People's Republic of China. Thank you, Ian and Luke, for this insightful discussion. It would be interesting to see how Boeing is able to manage this crisis by rebuilding its trust with its customers, passengers, and more importantly, the FAA. With this, I would like to conclude the episode 2 of podcast series Venture Journey. Stay tuned for further updates. Mm-hmm.